Hello everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about Saltmarsh, Eberron, uh, legendary actions, and high-level murder mysteries. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, sir. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another wonderful Saturday morning. I hope your sun is shining as bright as mine is. It's going to be a nice, warm summer day, so I'm loving it. Yeah, it is uh, rainy and dreary, and I have to mow my oh. lawn, and I can't do that But <laughs> when it's all <laughs> rainy like this. Um, but yeah, summer is here, which means lots of other, lots of cool stuff is happening. We had, last week, we had all the announcements of the, the Descent and mm -hmm. also on Tuesday, uh, Ghost, Ghosts of Saltmarsh came out. So we have this wonderful book that I have been reading. I'm like not very far into it because every time I sit down to read it, I get distracted by doing some other stuff. But um, I'm liking what I've, I've read so far. And I haven't skimmed the, the ship stuff yet. Have you done the ship? Because like, I know there's a whole section on like manning and crewing a boat and things like that. Have you read that yet, Lucian? Just just a little bit. I haven't dove into the rules enough that I could run them, but definitely I looked around at how they made some of the rules, some of the ship naming tables, mm -hmm. some of the encounter tables that they added. Um, and I know they resemble the rules we looked at in the um, Unearthed Arcana article, but they are slightly different. Mm -hmm. So just, I think, skimmed over probably, probably pretty much as like you did uh, at this point, waiting to for my group to have a ship that where they'll need these rules where yeah. you do ship, ship combat or how do you fight underwater? What are the things you have to deal with? Those kinds of things, which could, uh, could happen pretty soon. You never know in a campaign. No. And reading through this campaign. Uh, so I'm running this for next Wednesday. We're going to start running this and, and players are making brand new characters and they're all level one and stuff. Um, and they were talking like a month ago in our, our group chat, they were like, well, what are we going to name our boat? And I was like, whoa, 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 guys. Like, I don't even know if you get a boat. Like, you you shouldn't go around being like, we're going to name our boat and we're going to do this. And I was trying to get – I didn't want them to get so excited about something that might not happen in the adventure. Um, and then, sure enough, I was reading the adventure, and it's within the first, like, three or four levels that they – they, there's a potential to get access to a boat pretty early on that they can then go and like use as transportation around and stuff. And I was like, oh, okay, so they're going to be excited. Basically they're going to be really <laughs> enjoying. Um, it should That's be a good. lot of fun. Um, I, it does feel like a classic adventure. I've only read the first two so far, but they are very mm -hmm. much like, like, the the king wants you to do this and so you are adventurers that are hired to go out and do this and it's to explore this and and there's a a, a secret to it but at the same time it is kind of this like dungeon crawl through through houses and through th areas and things like that but um so far i'm really really enjoying it i think it's going to be a lot of fun and i like how they tie it in with uh, or I like that it is part of Greyhawk, but you can also tie mm -hmm. it into the other campaign settings if you are interested. There's an Eberron, um, a Forgotten Realms, and the other one starts with an M that I can't remember. Mistara? Yeah, I saw that one listed. <clears throat> yeah, one I had not played in. Yeah, yeah, I have not played that one, nor do I know much about it. But uh, it's going to be... Anyway, it's like super fun. Um, and I'm realizing my players are in the chat now, and they're just like, whoa, spoilers. I'm like, okay, well... 
don't tune into the Saturday morning D&D show when I get excited yeah, about a new go. adventure. So I'm, I apologize. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's a really fun book. Um, I'm really excited for it. And uh, I'm, I'm running it. So I'm like devouring it as fast as I can. Kind of like thoroughly devouring it. Like I'm trying to take my time so that I understand it. Because I've, I've read adventures where you just like, like you were saying, you don't skim them, but you kind of just go through them. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. Yes, thank you, Pale Rider. That is the name of the th- the other uh, campaign setting. Yeah. So I'm excited. Mostly, uh, I read chapter number one, which I felt like was one of the better chapter ones I've read in most of these adventures. Like, it really hooked me in. I like the simplicity of it. I like the smallness of it, but yet it has uh, repercussions wider out from where you kind of start. And it feels like a really good starting point. Even Minds of Fandelver, kind of the, the town of Fandelver itself is great, but the rocky start you start your characters to get to Fandelver feels odd. Like it's hard to say, why do six strangers decide to go on a wagon trip with nobody with them at all to tell them where to go or what to do? Yeah. And, and to kind of, you're almost like, just get them to Fandelver. Don't worry about the whys get them there and then it starts to open up and it really then starts to play like a really cool adventure um but this one i love the way it grounds the whole story into the area that it's in um and so when i read that first chapter uh, assault marsh was one that i didn't think i was going to purchase except probably for as a collection book to have on the shelf i wasn't really thinking i was going to be playing any like seagoing adventures i wasn't into the pirate theme at the moment and that always changes it'd be a year from now and that's all i want to do that kind of thing um but i was thinking no i don't want but now i read this chapter chapter one in there i'm like (laughs) i'm interested to know what's going on in this town there's like there's just cool stuff happening that the players can be involved with or not involved with or the i love the way they describe if this happens then this group decides to kind of do these things Mm -hmm. and gives you this idea as a dungeon master of where to take the story as it begins to unfold, not just here's what the current situation is and then give you no idea of what to do when things start to change. And I felt like that was a departure from some of the other adventures I had read from um, Wizards of the Coast lately. So it was a really cool idea to harken back to, like you said, some of the old modules. It felt like an old module in that way, Mm -hmm. but done better and done more creatively. I did a quick, I'm going to do a quick review. It's got recorded. I just got to post it up at some point where I talk about that. It is spoiler free. And that's what I am trying to talk about in this, in this vague term, spoiler free, but chapter one is really good about just setting and it's Greyhawk, which I really like. I, I wish we had a few more books for Greyhawk. And I know like we've always said, you can go back and get the ones from third edition and anywhere else and just convert them. Cause it's not hard to bring things into five E at all. Um, but I like the idea of officially supported material. That's the Greyhawk, you know, the Gary Gygax campaign setting. Mm-hmm. And this is the gateway to it. I really feel like if you want to do a 5e Greyhawk campaign starting in 2018, 2019 now, you could use this book as your starting point and then start bringing in all that other cool stuff and maybe converting it on your own if you mm-hmm. need to. You don't, you won't need too much more because this gives you such a good grounding area to start in and it's and it's an interesting area to, to go and explore yeah. no it really oh, is like a that. mini mini campaign setting that first chapter um yeah. and you you very eloquently said it uh but it, it it has the whole town of salt marsh and the surrounding areas mapped out 
to the point where your players can freely explore this sandbox that is Saltmarsh. There is an adventure for them to go on. That's chapters two, three, four, and five, et cetera, um, as like you go on these different adventures that you're hired on to do. But if you want to be in town, there's they took some rules from Xanathars to buy and sell magic items, to mm -hmm. craft magic items. Uh, there's areas to go to uh, if you just want to go to a pub and hear the latest rumors and be like, oh, and then you get a different job where you need to go into this forest to find elves and it's really cool like uh i for taking a bunch of random adventures uh, older adventures and tying them into a book mm -hmm. it's interesting to see the uh difference between tales of the yawning portal and this one where Tales yeah. of the Yawning Portal was very much like, oh, we'll just call it Tales of the Yawning Portal. It'll be kind of like, hey, there, there's no, there's no home base in Tales of the Yawning Portal. It literally is just a bunch of adventures. Whereas Saltmarsh has a home base for all of the bunch of adventures that it gives you. So you can still run it like, I just want to run a level five adventure. I'll run this for like three or four sessions of D and D. Um, mm -hmm. Or you can run the whole thing. And they tried to do that with Tales of the Yawning Portal, but. Although the levels were there, there was a level one adventure that took you to level three, and then there was a level four adventure that took you to level five, etc. There was nothing tying it in. Now, the other mm -hmm. cool thing about Ghosts of Saltmarsh is that it ties in with Tales of the Yawning Portal. Like, it says, hey, if you want, while your players are exploring Saltmarsh, there's also, like, they could go on this random adventure over here, or this is how you can tie um, Sunless Citadel into Tales of the Yawning Portal. Perhaps Sunless Citadel is located over here in this forest. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, and so it, it's kind of funny because Ghosts of Saltmarsh, somebody in my Discord said that... Uh, Tales of the Awning Portal was a good book, but in comparison to Ghosts of Saltmarsh, we now see what Tales of the Awning Portal could have been, and it's kind mm -hmm. of like a sad book at this point. And I don't necessarily agree with that 100%, but I, you, I think you understand the sentiment where you're just kind of looking at it and you're yeah. like, oh, that's what, it, that's what it could have been. So, oh yeah, and uh, Lucian and is dogs. Lucian is <laughs> dog sitting dog this morning. He is a uh, number one dog dad, so excuse the barking if you hear barking. <laughs> to hear a little bit of it here for um i also oh boy i'll let you keep going let me <laughs> no so it, ha it ties in with tales of the yawning portal which is really exciting um all of it basically gives you a setting for all of those uh adventures and tales of the yawning portal which is interesting because one of them is tomb of horrors but they basically said like and that's the the 10th level one uh, mm -hmm. 10, 10 plus. And they said you can take Tales of the Un or Tomb of Horrors and place it in certain areas of, of the Saltmarsh region, um, which mm -hmm. is really cool. There's all this like political stuff going on in Saltmarsh. Like it's a really, really yeah. rich, robust setting for just this thing. And I'm wondering if we get more of these in the future, because I would love a... I guess we kind of got this with Waterdeep Dragon Heist, where it was just like a book on Waterdeep and everything that goes on in Waterdeep. But like these mini campaign settings, like a Neverwinter book. And they did that for fourth mm -hmm. edition because I own the fourth edition Neverwinter book, but it has all the information of like, how do you run just a game within Neverwinter? And this is kind of the same thing. Like, how do you run just a game within Saltmarsh? But that's yeah. the cool thing is that's just chapter one. And then you have all these mm -hmm. adventures that follow along with it. So Yeah, and I think it starts out really strong chapter one. Now I did realize that when they talk about linking these things together, they are loosely linked together. They're yes. still like, here's a sentence on how you could link them together. It's not like a detail 
of how you will link these mm -hmm. things together. So as a dungeon master, you still have quite a bit of leeway that you're expected to kind of fill in the gaps of in between some of these other adventures, especially when you get past chapters two, three, and four, which two, three, and four without spoiling everything are probably the closest three to be linked fairly easily and kind of in line well, with they, each other. They were it's linked the together originally. Yeah, yeah. It's the later ones where you're kind of linking them together, but it's going to take some work on your end. Just like if you were going to do tales of the yawning portal, it took work on your end to make sure those were going to link together in some coherent way. Or even in Storm King Thunder sometimes, like they put a lot of heavy lifting on the dungeon master in certain chapters to say, all right, well, they're at the end of chapter, say three. Now you need to get them to chapter four. That's up to you. The sentence is, here's a couple ideas, but it's only a couple of sentences long. So yeah. still be ready for that. But I thought of all the first chapter books I have read, Wizards of the Coast released for five, fifth edition, that has been my favorite first chapter. I thought that was the best, the most concise, and it sucked me right into the story that was going on in this town. And it made me feel really cool because there was a, a game that I was running that I was using a town called Salt Break, which was a port town that we started in. And I had a little bit of those kinds of things, but I had two factions in and it was cool to realize how they, by having more, what they could do with it. And mm -hmm. then it showed me a good template of how to set up my starter town when I do my adventure to say, these, this is the stuff that GMs would want. What happened? This is their goals. This is the things that they want. Here's how they react if it works. And here's how they react if it doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Right. Those things really help. And now I've, I'm going to take that to heart as I try to finish writing up mine, which is the, the salt break um, city that I'm using, which could be very interchangeable. So it was really cool to see that. And I think it's gonna be a good book. I'm, I'm excited to see a lot of people playing it. There's a lot of online games playing it right now. So it's going to be hard not to see spoilers at the moment. Like I'm going to have to stay away from some of the shows, I think, because I think I want to play through it before I run it. Or maybe I'll just run it. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But we got the other, I mean, we've got um, Descent into Avernus coming. We've yeah. got, you know, we, we've got this book, which sounds really cool. There's just so much good stuff going on right now. It's great. So Lots it's of a stuff. good book. I, Speaking... I definitely recommend it. And speaking of really good stuff, uh, there was a secret announcement at the end of the Descent stream. Um, so at the beginning of the stream on Friday, was it Friday they started? Mm -hmm. They announced yes. a whole bunch of slew of stuff that we talked about on the Saturday Morning D&D show last week. And then mm -hmm. Sunday during Game of Thrones, they decided to sneak in an extra little bit that they denied later on, but then Keith Baker said that it was true. Um, there's a hardcover Eberron book coming out, which isn't mm -hmm. really a surprise to anyone because we've been getting a lot of Artificer stuff that they're probably going to include in this hardcover book. But what is surprising is that it's not Wayfinder's Guide to Eberron. They're not mm -hmm. going to take that book, throw in the Artificer, and then release it as a published book. They're working on a brand new book. Um, mm -hmm. And Keith Baker's been very vocal that he doesn't want to reprint old material he wants to make new material for Eberron because that old lore, you know, those old cities and those old NPCs still work. You just have to kind of change them a little bit for fifth edition. But his point was that it still is there. There's no reason to just reprint old material. He's like, why don't we just write new material for it? So it's a, a new Eberron book, which is exciting, just like Wayfinders was. And it's going to have mm -hmm. all kinds of stuff. And I imagine they'll have the the races wrapped into this new book as well. They'll probably reprint those from Wayfinders Guide because it just makes sense to have like the Warforged and stuff along with the Artificer in, an, in a hardcover Eberron book. But that's exciting. And more 
I like Eberron a whole bunch. Uh, gives me more material to write videos on, so that's really exciting. Yeah, and what, the way it came down is uh, it was the Sunday night um, concert. At the very end of the concert, Nathan got on there and he said, well, I promised all of you on our show, Spoilers and Swag, that for all those people who've left and are now over watching Game of Thrones and we'll give you a spoiler that none of them will know about. So he then says, we're doing an Eberron hardcover book. And then Monday on Twitter, when somebody starts asking about it, he starts saying, oh, no, there was no there was no spoiler. We didn't say anything. But if you any, they weren't going to put up the VOD part of that, but they actually did, because he even said while he's saying we won't even put up the VOD. So only the people that are here and only the people that are listening right now will know all the others that left. They won't know. And it was just like so I think he was just trying to play a little a joke in some way yeah. on that. So um, but they didn't give us a lot of information yet. It's obvious that's going to be pretty big. Um, our show has reached out to Keith Baker, which is really cool. So there's a, a possibility, a potential that we might get to hear some from the, the writer himself. So we'll definitely keep everybody posted on that if that follows through, which I think will be really cool. He said and, he'd be able to talk about it more this summer. Yeah. So uh, we still have a little ways to wait, a couple months or so. <laughs> which is great because now we've got um, Secrets of Salt Marsh and... Um, which is kind of a Greyhawk setting. We were going to have an Eberron book, which means that's an Eberron setting. We have plenty of Forgotten Realms settings, and we're going to go to Avernus, which is kind of another plane setting. So we're really starting to branch out from the different areas of Dungeons and Dragons, which I think is really cool, and bringing back other nostalgia for people who played in different worlds and different stuff. Us homebrew people that love to do their homebrew stuff, it's just more material for us to kind of pick and choose what we like and still have just good ideas on how we're going to do our things or use them as examples. Um, and there's always usually pretty good rules in there. Going back to the Salt Marshman, I thought one of the things that was cool is all the ship stuff that's in there, like you mentioned, they did put a section in there about magic items. I thought it was really weak. What do you think about the magic item section of that? Did you know they? Go through that? It was weak, uh, yeah. but... I didn't, I didn't feel, I didn't buy this book for the magic item, so I was okay True. with it. Um, mm -hmm. But they're not, and I should point out that although the magic items are weaker or just like not that much fun or things like that, they are story tied. Mm -hmm. So uh, if you're buying this book to be like, oh, I want to use that magic item in my homebrew world, it doesn't really make sense. But it, it will be a cool magic item relating to the story and how they use it within the story kind of a thing, because there's there, well, there's reasons, but yeah, uh, yeah no, it was not, not the best section. And, and it's I very short. The, the monster <laughs> stat blocks. Yeah. It was one page. The monster stat blocks. I was a little disappointed in, they reprinted a lot of stuff that we've got in other books, whether it was monster manual um, there. So there are several, maybe, maybe not quite half, but maybe near that number, maybe a third of them are reprints of monsters we already have. Another portion of them are monsters, but maybe they're a version of the monster. So you might get like a, a wizard of this or a warlock yeah. of this or, you know, something like that. So it's still similar to something we've already had. And then there's like a third of them that are, are new that we haven't gotten in anything. I think I would have liked that ratio to be bigger of stuff that we haven't had yet, especially since we're going to kind of a new realm of underwater and we're in the oceans and the seas and there's a lot more stuff that we could do and bring about. I felt like there was room for a bigger monster section or a monster section that didn't have so many reprints in it, but I still think it's good. I just think I felt like it could have been a little bit better jumping back to that. So. Now on that though, wizards of the coast has made it very clear that they want you to have the player's handbook, the dungeon master's guide and the monster manual in order to play D and D. 
So as long as I have those three books, I can go out and buy any other book. I don't need to buy Volo's Guide of Guide to Monsters in order to play Ghosts of Saltmarsh. And that's right. why they reprint those monsters um, mm -hmm. that were in other things because they want, and I'm sure Avernus is going to be the same thing uh, where that book is going to have a whole bunch of reprints from uh, Mordekainen's Tome of Foes because they want you to be able to just have that book and the three core books in order to play D&D. &D. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you sense. can be disappointed with it, but at the same time, like I kind of applaud them for that because it like, mm -hmm. I don't, I, I also don't mind that I only need a monster manual and my uh, Ghosts of Saltmarsh book at my table. If I needed like four books at my table because I'm running mm -hmm. a monster fight with like all these different things, I would, I would be very frustrated. So mm -hmm. yeah. Cool. So that's the reasoning behind that, I believe. So yeah. Um, in other news, uh, Stephen Colbert plays D and D with Matt Mercer. I caught the first like 20 or 30 minutes of this. I haven't watched the whole thing. Um, there's a bunch of memes going around that are like, look, find somebody who looks at you like Stephen Colbert looks at Matt Mercer and things like that. Um, and mm -hmm. it's really fun. So, yeah. uh, that's been going on and you can catch that on YouTube's. I believe it's out there somewhere. Um, mm -hmm. and they're doing it for the red nose charity, which is to end child hunger poverty poverty okay um so that's been that's in the news and going around um and it's a really good example of a one dm and one player which that's you don't why I put see it in very often school. yeah um which kind of ties into the new essentials that comes out which is not meant to be played with one player but you can play it with one dm and one player in case mm -hmm. you don't have that slew of friends who are interested in dnd but you have your buddy who's like well i'll play so mm -hmm. Yeah, I what I liked about it was it was clear, but or Stephen Colbert is an actor, Matt Mercer is an actor, so they're both actors. But it felt like that he was really into what was going on. It wasn't just a he was putting a show on for his show, or it was a bit, or it was a gag, or anything like that. He was. It seemed genuine that he was really into it, and he just took it as. I'm being brought back to my teenage years, my, my early college years of playing a game, and I haven't played since then. And there was just, it just felt like he really took it in that way. It was a very short kind of adventure. Um, I was waiting to see reactions when you get Matt Mercer doing some voice stuff. And he didn't react the way I think a lot of us have reacted in the way that Matt, when Matt does voices, you're like, oh my God, that's so cool he was really about the game and he was really about figuring things out and where the puzzles were and the traps were and the things that he should do and trying to understand what was going on. And I really liked that he felt like a genuine player or somebody who wanted to learn again, who had been a player and there's so much stuff going around in your head of what it used to be like, but now you're trying to figure out what it is now. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was interesting. I thought it was funny that they played him, made him a bard. Um, apparently there was some, I don't know where this had come up, but they asked the community what class they should pre-create for him at some point, pre-roll for him. And the, I guess the community thought he should play a bard. I, I thought that was pretty funny. Um, Cause that's such a weird one coming out of the gate for a Dungeons and Dragons reintroduction to be, you know, psychic damage, vicious mockery, um, uh, inspirations. Those are kind of like outlier style um, abilities that you don't remember from like AD&D or Dungeons and Dragons. Mm -hmm. You know, it was like, I hit, I want to hit something with a sword. Like he fought with his long sword most of the time, which I thought was great because that's just like that old school player coming out. Just like, I just swing my sword. I do, you know, I do what I need to do. So I thought that was cool. Um, but it was fun. And I liked that it wasn't just a 
Matt Mercer, you know, doing a game for another celebrity, which we have seen. We've seen the Vin Diesel one. We've seen him, you know, do it with all these other people. There's all kinds of actors and stuff coming into the to the industry now that have loved Dungeons and Dragons or are letting people know they love Dungeons and Dragons. Um, but this was like this cool one-on-one show of a game. And I thought that made it stand out a little bit to just remind us that you don't need a big party. You don't need a big set of players. If you can just get you and one other person on a same schedule, you can have a really f- cool and fun adventure uh, with just two people. And that's kind of what the, the essentials kit was talking about too. When we talked about, we're going to see a one-on-one version of playing Dungeons and Dragons, which could work for, you know, older people teaching younger people how to play um, with their schedules, maybe teaching your brothers, your siblings, your sisters, your daughters, whatever it might be. Uh, just one-on-one, you know, having a game night at home. I think that's really cool. So I just thought it was nice to see that version of it. And it was fun. It looked fun. It was a cool little storyline that they were playing. And who knows if they'll ever play again. Who knows if we'll see more actors or more, you know, that's a late night talk show host, you know, taking some time out to do that. So that's pretty interesting. Will we see a Conan O'Brien Dungeons and Dragons game, which I, I probably could see that. He would do it with Dan yeah. Harmon or something. No, it, some it's funny that you mentioned that he was uh... – like uh not not joking around because i think at the beginning of it i did feel like he was joking around because he's just like i don't know what did i get myself into and then he just fell back into the magic of this and there was there was one point where matt mercer said something he said the word icker he's like this icker or something and (laughs) stephen colbert was like i haven't heard the word icker in the last 30 years and it was like (laughs) welcome back to D &D." and he he just like remembered how much fun it was and i think that's uh, i think I hope as I get older, I don't shy away from D&D. Like, I want to be that, like, 60-year-old guy playing Dungeons & Dragons because I love it so much. Um, but it seems like a lot of people, it, they phase out of it as they get older. Um, and I, mm-hmm. well, maybe that's not happening right now. So, uh, like, like the new renaissance of, of role-playing games, people are playing at all ages kind of a thing. So Yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm probably one of the people that are, like you're saying, like, I'm leery of, oh, the next celebrity they bring on and they're going to have them role-play a game and how that celebrity handles it is it just a stun is it just a publicity thing is it just bringing in but that one felt i think it's like you said started out one way but it genuine went in another direction Mm -hmm. or he finally just let it be what it was and it wasn't he he didn't have to be the jokester he didn't have to do a comedy show about it. it was just enjoying and i think what did it was when matt started describing the area that he was in and where he was walking through the forest and he, the, the the detail he used in the character and his his companion with him and the w- traveling through kind of brought him into, all right, this is a game we're going to play. And it wasn't just, you know, an, a sort of interview or a sort of kind of, I don't want to say like a stunt or anything, but, it, you know, being that short, it feels almost like a publicity kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but it was cool. And it was for charity, which is cool. I'm sure that charity is going to be doing really well because if there's one thing that we all know about the critter community is they are very giving. They are the type of people that when they start to back a charity, they back it full board. There's all kinds, you know, um, was eight two six LA gets a lot of support from them. There's all kinds of these other initiatives. Yeah. Uh, That one. (laughs) Yeah. No, they're, that's, they're really cool because eight two six is all over the United States, but um, mm-hmm. if I'm thinking, cor- actually, maybe I shouldn't say this until I actually know. And... <laughs> As we look it up. So I thought it was pretty cool while you're looking that up, and I think um, 
I felt like it was genuine. I felt like it would almost like if we got like a Patton Oswald because we know he's big into Dungeons and Dragons. It would be like if we got some of these other people that we we could definitely imagine had played Dungeons and Dragons before. Yeah, eight two six LA is they have these storefronts. They're really clever. Sorry, I'm just going to go off on a tangent because I love these stores. They're really clever where they have these funny storefronts. Um, in front of their like writing and reading education and, and homeschooling, not homeschooling, but uh, uh, tutoring and stuff. And mm-hmm. in LA, it's the time travel mart. And you can go in and they sell these funny little like time travel products. In Seattle, where I used to live, I used to live right across the street from the Greenwood Space and uh space travel supply store. And so everything was like space and going to different planets and things like that. And then I went to Chicago and they have the one that was 826 Chicago, which was the not a secret agent spy store. And you go in and it's like all of this spy stuff and things like that. And so they have these funny fronts that kids can play around with all these toys. And then there's like the tutoring in the back and they're all really great nonprofits. And so it's been cool. Anyway, sorry, geeking out about that. I just love, I love those stores. So so and then i mean even just leading on to that we all got a big treat this week i think we saw a little bit of it on twitter um as some people were posting an image and everybody kind of freaked out a little bit in a good way but we got to finally see the cool brazilian commercial for the renault car which used the dungeons and dragons original cartoon characters in live costumes as live actors and it was actually done really well like i didn't understand any of the language that was going on but i was like hooked i was like where is this on my saturday morning we should be playing this at the front of our show all the time just because it was so good so well done so it's the old dungeons and dragons cartoon and they use those characters in a live action sense to have this car commercial um that cartoon interestingly enough they never get home in the cartoon And so a lot of people were saying that this commercial was like the capstone on top of the whole series because they finally make it home in the commercial as they like jump in a car and drive through a portal or something. Yeah. And not only is it just the kids, but we get the little unicorn that followed everybody around uni. (laughs) They defeat Tiamat in it. So it's like you get to see the light up of the bow, which is iconic. You get to see the shield from the paladin, which is iconic. You see the invisible cloak happen. I mean, you get all the cool stuff that you need. And you even have Vengeurs, the one who's running around trying to kill him with the one horn off the side of the helm. Just iconic villain bad guy from the 80s cartoons. Um, It was just really cool to see. And I'm so glad. I don't know. I mean, I assume they must have had to have contacted Wizards of the Coast to use it. Or maybe maybe that cartoon is owned by another company. The rights to the know. cartoons so maybe they can use it you know as part of a media thing but man wouldn't it be cool if netflix took that and ran with it and gave us you know <laughs> uh, you know a couple of season show based off of that i'm like get those actors too i'll, I'll learn spanish just to figure out what's going yeah. on because it was super yeah. cool and very well done i thought so if you yeah, haven't it seen fun. it check it out on youtube maybe we'll post it in uh the chat at some point so people can go yeah. and take a look i'll put at it in the in the description of the video uh when this goes as a vod but you should just check it out it's fun it's like a couple of minutes long but it's really cool yeah. um and then yeah go ahead and talk about our next kickstarter that's coming up like i didn't even yeah. know that this was happening and it sounds really cool one yeah one more thing that caught my eye i just uh kickstarted it myself uh this morning which was it's called grimmer space it is a new campaign setting for the starfinder campaign which is the the paizo's game which is their kind of futuristic sci-fi version of pathfinder and 
the one of the main writers is i always say his name wrong sean austin right it's not shane right it's sean sean austin yeah sean austin who i loved who got to come back in stranger things recently and come back into our lives but also you know most famous for being you know samwise or even a lot of other stuff a lot of kids 80s shows a lot of other things that he was in when he was younger i mean yeah goonies one of my favorite you know kid growing up movies to watch as a kid i loved it and so he's a writer of this which blew my mind because one he's writing that and i think i knew he was a role player I forget where I had heard it from. Like it was in some interview where they went through his house and looked at his toy collection or something, you know, like all his movie props and stuff that he has at his own home. And I think, I think that's somehow I knew he was a role player. There was something there that, that did that, but I'd totally forgotten about it. So he's not only a role player, but he's writing a role playing game and they're kickstarting it right now. It's called Grimmer space. The one thing I liked um, about their, their little catchphrase was it's a science only galaxy that has secretly been invaded by ancient wizards from the other side of the universe. So it's like taking a sci-fi setting and then throwing in big magic all of a sudden out of nowhere. And how are those two things going to battle or, or work together or oppose each other or what's going to happen? Um, so it looks really good. It looks like it's a professionally done Kickstarter. They've got a big star backing it. I think it's awesome that he's a writer uh, for it. And so I was really excited. I thought I would tell everybody about it and kind of added it to our show notes. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I didn't know anything about it, but, um, I mean, he's obviously a big celebrity. So for him to be like, let's do a Kickstarter for Starfinder is kind of like put Starfinder on the map even more. So yeah. 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 And I, it's a game that, did you get to play it? No, I played, uh, Pathfinder two. Um, on, as like I, a test at Gen Con, but I have never played Starfinder. I flipped through I the book. I thought you played on Cody's channel for like just a couple of sessions, but maybe maybe it wasn't oh. that. Okay, so I kept thinking, but I knew we've talked about Starfinder in the past, and me and you have said that it's one of those RPGs that we like the presentation to, and it's one that we would like to play at some point, though we're always super busy playing Dungeons and & Dragons and all this <laughs> other stuff, kids on bikes and all these other things it's one of the games that's definitely on my list of, I want to play. Like I want to try it out. I want to either run it or be playing it. And I think this would be another cool thing. And for those of you that are fans of Paizo and Pathfinder and Starfinder and those, they're having their big convention right now in Seattle over this weekend. And so if you're in that area, you could be over there and they're doing a bunch of, they do a huge Pathfinder society, just like adventure league. The community is nice and robust for Pathfinder and Starfinder. Um, it's different than the Dungeons and Dragons community, I think. I think there's some overlap, but I think they've garnered a pretty big community on their own mm-hmm. that they still are, you know, continuing to support, continuing to put out a lot of books. Paizo puts out a ton of books for content if you want stuff for your different games, lots of different campaign settings, lots of other writers writing for it. So it's a whole nother part of our our um, our community, no, our, our hobby. That's what I wanted. Our <laughs> hobby that if you might be interested in maybe Dungeons and Dragons is cool, but it's not quite your thing, then there's definitely some of these other ones to check out. So I thought I'd throw that on our show notes. Yeah, no, for sure. Starfinder's fun. Uh, somebody in chat was just like, I think you're thinking about Numenera because that's what I played on Cody's channel <laughs> on Saber oh, Dice was yeah. Numenera. That's what it was. And I love <laughs> Numenera. Love Don't get Numenera. me I so love good. Monty Cook games. I hope they keep getting bigger. I hope they have like a Monty Cook live event 2019 that we get invited to as well. <laughs> Numenera. I love the strange. I love the cipher system. They're all super fun. All right. Um, yeah. So lots of stuff's going on. That was a big news heavy morning. Yeah. Um, but Lucian, uh, did you play any games this last week? 
I did. I got to play a couple of games, um, and then I got to end or transition a campaign. But let's start with uh, what we played. So I've been playing Tomb of Annihilation on Wednesday nights. We got together, and the one thing I liked about this was this is the first time, and I'm trying to do a non-spoiler, so if any of you others are going back and playing Tomb of Annihilation, which is, isn't that cool? Like, I'm going back and I'm playing these old modules campaign settings that are still back there so it's not just like we're all playing salt marsh because salt marsh just came out or everybody's playing the one thing there's still groups of people even playing online that are going back to the old material and saying let's play through it which is really fun um so we got to fight a legendary creature in the big city that we're kind of exploring through and it was a first time where um we had fought a pretty big battle and used up a lot of resources before we decide to carry on with about half of our resources um, available to us. And then we get hit by this big legendary creature. So we're about half our power level almost. Mm -hmm. And we throw off, we're like, that's it. We've got to go all in if we're going to beat this thing. Cause this thing is like full on deadly. We throw those first two game changer spells at it and it uses those legendary resistances just to blow it off. And you're just going like, Oh my God, that was my last, I'm a wizard. I'm throwing my last powerful thing I've got and he just blew it off without a roll or he makes, he misses the roll. You get excited and then uses a legendary action just to blow it off. And I'm just like, no. And I was thinking from a player standpoint, because normally as a dungeon master, you do those things to make sure your combats um, last mm -hmm. and they feel epic when you're using these legendary creatures with legendary uh, actions but this one felt as a player like i felt like oh no this was my one shot to do something and you just canceled it i'm down to cantrips at this point against mm -hmm. this really powerful creature this is not going well <laughs> but it all turned out where our party was able to pull itself out so it was really good um how, how many my question for you was how many times have you used creatures where they had legendary actions and how do you feel about the number that they had and how you use them and how your players reacted. I've started giving legendary actions to monsters that don't have them because my players are able to just like tie down and like tie down monsters with, with stuns and things like that, especially the monk with like stunning strike. Um, what's interesting though, is the more I use those, the more my party's just like, Oh, okay. So we've got to burn through three. So they'll do like weaker spells or weaker this to try and burn through those and then go for the stunning strikes and like lock them down. So I've even upped it to like some of them have four. Some of mm -hmm. them I'll just give them like one or two to kind of to mix and match. Um, I think it's a great way. Like if your party is mowing over somebody, like it's a great way of just being like, no, just give them like two, two legendary uh, resistances. Sorry is what I'm thinking of. Uh, not mm. necessarily legendary reactions, but like legendary resistances uh, because those, yeah, like, like your party will just stun lock them forever. And it's really frustrating yeah. as a DM. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause that's what you didn't want. That's what was going to happen. We, uh, our bard tried to cast uh hypnotic gaze, which would have gave us some time to, to maneuver and get some good shots on the thing. But he blew that one off. And I did what you just said. Like I knew he had those resistances and I was trying to wait long enough that he used them all to throw my slow spell out mm -hmm. but he just kept it and he kept it and he kept it and by the end we're like three rounds in i'm like i can't hold it any longer this is going bad it's all going downhill i cast my slow spell and he blows it off i'm like no <laughs> but that's the thing i wanted to try to lock down that creature i wanted yeah. to try to, to you know and as a dungeon master we want our creatures to feel epic we want them to we want our parties to feel in danger um 
so we're kind of seeing it from both directions. So it was pretty funny to be able to see that from both directions. And yeah, I do like legendary actions. I like how you can use them to make the fight feel epic when it needs to be epic and you don't have to use it if you don't need them, but they're there when all of a sudden they're trying to use fear after fear, after fear, after fear, or they're trying to use some type of mind control lockdown or polymorph. I'm going to polymorph it into a chicken. Oh, it didn't work. Okay. I'm going to try to polymorph it the next turn. You know, if you're playing a higher yeah. level kind of campaign. And you could flavor it just by saying like he shrugs it off or, um, your spell is not effective and you don't know why. And so maybe they don't understand that it's a legendary, like a smart player, I guess will probably be like, Oh, he's got legendary resistances, but, um, a, uh, a new player might just be like, Oh my gosh, polymorph just doesn't work on this monster, you know? And so there's, there's that. So, uh, yeah. But yeah, there, I don't know. There's, there's a, like, there's probably not a wrong way to do this. There's many different ways to take care of, like, how do you make your monsters a little more tough? But yeah, running a campaign with a let 10, 11th level players, um, especially the monk, like, I don't know. Somebody once told me that the monk is like underpowered, but we have a monk at our, and he's like running on the walls and like stunning doing strike. flips off the ceiling and stunning striking creatures. And all yeah. he has to do is spend key and he gets four hits because he spends, flurry of blows so he has four chances per round to stun him and i know he will run out of key but he's got 11 key points he can do this 11 times in a match like if they're fully rested and he usually saves those four bosses because he, what yeah. else is he spending his key on you know uh, yeah. it's yeah it's definitely definitely <laughs> interesting so and i did see in chat the aliens rpg yes i did pre-order today because it is 525 pre-orders open this morning you could go and pre-order and i pre-ordered the special edition and hopefully i get that um sometime soon so oh that's awesome 100 bucks on that one i love nice. aliens so much <laughs> we'll my wife play it. when she sees a credit card bill for this month's gonna be mad because i bought too many games and too many kickstarters but <laughs> we'll save that for later she doesn't watch the show so she probably will never know <laughs> yeah there you go so other than that, on Thursday, I played Horde of the Dragon Queen. This is an older adventure, which is the reason I like to go through it. It's being run by a newer DM. So I like the um, experience of working with a new DM or just learning. I like that everything I do when I'm playing a game right now, I, I use the lens of I am a dungeon master to look at it through it, plus what my player does. Like I'm, I'm thinking about my character and I'm, and I'm role playing the character and I'm having fun, but I'm also looking at everything through the the dungeon master lens of, okay, if, if this was me and I'm running this part of the session, what would I do here? What would be the things that I would like to add or the things that I would like to do or point out or that kind of stuff? What's my dialogue? Those kinds mm -hmm. of things. And it just gives me a chance to help try to improve my skill while watching somebody else kind of present the material um, as the dungeon master. So I think that's cool. Uh, the one thing that I thought was really cool and it must've tied in, and I don't even think this was even planned or anything. We ironically end up visiting Baldur's Gate, just as we hear is the big announcement that the next big storyline is going to happen in Baldur's Gate, which is pretty cool. But we're only there for a brief moment as we kind of continue on in the adventure, um, which sounds like it's going to take us along the Sword Coast a lot more than I thought. I didn't realize Horde of the Dragon Queen were going to do so much traveling. I kind of felt like it was more of a, but maybe I was thinking of Princes of the Apocalypse, which is maybe a more of a smaller area where yeah. all this stuff is happening. Um, maybe of the dragon queen i don't think i've read as much on it so maybe no, we you do travel, travel quite a bit yeah yeah that's cool yeah so my artificer that i'm playing in that is level four i decided to go with the ability upgrade because i had rolled really bad stats for my artificer um i have a couple of eights and nines in there and i wanted to make sure that my main stat i didn't even have an 18 anywhere in there so i think for most of my 
upgrades at that fork level. And then when you get uh, ability increases, I'm going to use it on this character. Many times I'm looking at feats or things that I can do to bring in an, a new flavor to the character or make them better at something because mm -hmm. I really like feats and most dungeon masters allow you to use them in their games. But on this character, I felt like because I rolled bad enough, I just need to get my ability scores because really ability scores are powerful in 5e. I mean, they are not something just to ignore. Um, they really do drive the math of 5e these days. So having good stats, having a character that has two or three 18s is a big difference to somebody who has like straight 10s or something in, in the game. So it definitely makes you feel like that superhero when you have those high stats. So that's kind of what I went with that, not doing any spoilers for it, but it's been pretty fun. And then we get to Seeking Revenor, which is my campaign, the West Marches style campaign. And last night the protective bubble over the town of Port Bastion, which has kept it hidden from all of the factions in this new world that they're exploring has dissolved and popped. Um, and a red dragon has basically just routed the town with a few passes before it is wounded and injured and has to fly away by a powerful wizard from within the town. Mm -hmm. And it was my transition because I've decided that I've my West Marches experiment is done at this point. I feel like I understand how I was making my rules, the way I did them, the testing I wanted to do with it, how running a West Marches was, how to run multiple groups, how that all works. I didn't think I did the best job of it, but I think I did a pretty good job of it, and I have a better understanding of what a West Marches game is now. Um, and now I want to get it back to being a regular campaign where I have a single party that is still going to adventure in that world, which has all been set up by all these parties that have went out and done stuff, which is really cool because there's so many different things going on that this party can decide what thing they're going to tackle and where they're going to go. And it feels like they're jumping into a living world. Um, I think most of them are going to keep the characters that they have. Mm -hmm. uh, many of them are going to write their death um, deaths as, as the attack happens on the town. And so they can, you know, describe how heroically they were doing something, but they, for those that aren't going to continue in the campaign, will, um, um, what their demise is and how we go forward from there. And we'll get a lot more interaction with NPCs now. We'll get a lot more interaction with um, kind of what's going on and not so combat heavy, I don't think as much, versus that's kind of how West Marches has to be. It has to be kind of combat heavy when you're running lots of different groups at different times out there. So I felt like it was really cool. I'm excited that um, I got to do it and got to ex experiment with it. Mm -hmm. And now I'm ready to really take this story in my, my homebrew world of Revenor and really open up with some of the stuff that's out there. So I'm, I'm excited to get them going and, and headed in the right direction. Cause I think there's a lot of good story there yet, yet to be told. So sweet. That has been my week. And other than that, I've been cleaning my pool <laughs> and just own, I'm a first year pool owner and owning a pool is a lot of work people um, <laughs> make sure if you're going to do that you realize what you're getting into and I'm hoping soon I'll be able to uh, I, I want to host a D&D &D party in the pool sometime this summer so I think that'd be pretty fun and cool um, but it's a lot of work but all those people that work. cement in their pools now you totally yeah. understand why they do that yeah so <laughs> I'm like, why would you want to do that yeah uh so what did jordan do in role playing he must have played some games something yeah. must have happened. well i played uh scarab of death which is a high level murder mystery so i've got 10th level players now and um we needed something to fill the time before salt marsh came out and so I was like, you know, I've ran this before. I want to run it again. It's called Scarab of Death. It's a high level murder mystery. It's 
really fun. Like I super love this uh, module and I'll put it in chat if you guys are interested in it. Um, but I super love this module. It's really fun. It's um, takes place in Waterdeep. And so basically my players were teleported from the Hot Springs Island to Waterdeep through a teleportation ring they jumped through and they kind of got like sidetracked and landed there accidentally. Um, they they uh, solved uh, um, basically a, a rogue golem within Blackstaff Tower was going crazy and they helped destroy that golem or take care of that golem. And then after that, they uh, went on an adventure and they went to uh, went on a shopping spree in, in a district of, of Marketplace District and there was a murder. And the so, okay, let me back up. The, the reason I love this adventure is because you are allowed to use high-level spells you are allowed to use um, all kinds of, of level 10 abilities that you might have. Like it takes into factor that your uh, cleric might have commune where he can just talk straight with his God and get an answer. It, it takes into account that you have spells like zone of truth so that you, when you're interrogating people to try to find out who murdered who, that those people will be under that influence of that spell and be forced to tell the truth. Um, which makes it really fun because all of those things are just lead into more clues that then the players still have to physically solve a mystery. It's not the character solving a mystery through dice rolls. It's a, the players really have to think about what's going on and have to figure it out. And they went on a couple of different tangents thinking like, oh, well, it has to be devils. Devils are causing all of these problems. Or it has to be this. This has to be causing all these problems. So they had their clues and they went through and interviewed a bunch of people and they weren't 100% correct, but they were on the right track. And so they solved, they solved the murder. I don't want to give away the whole thing, um, so I won't. But they ended up solving the murder, and we had a really good time. Um, the The final like boss is kind of this high level wizard, I guess, who has access to like uh, I think like seventh and eighth level spells. And uh, one of my players, his jaw hit the floor. He's like, "That's a sixth level spell." I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm not messing around. Like I've I've <laughs> got like this." And of course, it's four of them versus one of me. Um, so they ended up like being able to take care of it. No problem. But that's a little spooky when he starts casting spells like maze and disintegrate and really like locking down certain players in this instance. It was, it was fun. Um, and I feel bad. Uh, I was going to talk to you about the spell animate objects. Are you familiar with this spell? It sounds familiar, but I don't know if I know the details off the top of my head. So you can you can create 10 tiny to small items and animate them. So something like daggers or like one of the jokes on the internet is carry around 10 forks with you and you can animate mm -hmm. 10 forks to attack for 1d4 plus 4 damage, I think, or something crazy like that. Or you can animate uh, five like medium objects or you can animate like three larger objects or one huge object. It, it lets you scale up to animating like giant statues and stuff like that. Ooh, I like it. So it's a really cool spell, but it's kind of overpowered if you do the 10 small objects because you basically get 10 attacks as opposed to getting like one attack from like the giant huge objects. And although this huge object does more damage, we all know that being able, like action economy wise, being able to hit mm -hmm. more often is better than that. So, so my player animated eight daggers that he was carrying around with him. Um, yeah. And these things can move like 20 feet, I think. Uh, and it was, here's where it's frustrating because 
do I allow my player to utilize his cool spell and make this attack, make this, this whole encounter just done in like, like that, or mm-hmm. do I negate it? And so I ended up having my, uh, my wizard that was attacking them. He teleported out of the room into another room. So it was going to take like maybe two or three turns for those daggers to like catch up to him. Um, and I could tell that my player was really like, Oh, like I don't even get to attack with it. And I'm like, I'm, I'm really sorry, but at the same time, like you were going to annihilate my wizard in like one hit. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting spell. There's a lot of debate about it online and mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know, but I guess a good dispel magic would, would be appropriate or it is concentration. Mm-hmm. So attacking the guy that did this to like lose concentration on it is also a viable tactic. Um, but, uh, so maybe it's not, maybe that's why it's not as powerful as I think it is, yeah. but boy, counter spell at that point, you yeah. already have that kind of stuff to, to fight it, exactly. dispel magic, dispel yeah, magic, yeah. but like, yeah, summoning 10 forks and doing 10 attacks per round is pretty crazy. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. So we finished Scarab of Death. I really love that. And that's kind well, of, I have a question for you. Yes, then. I would love to answer a question. So that's an adventure that is designed to test the players, not the characters. Correct. It's a mystery. It's about if they can solve it. Yes. But what what advantages do I get if I'm a 18 intelligence wizard who, in reality, if we're thinking about an 18 intelligence, you're talking about like Sherlock Holmes level of intelligence for the character. Now me as the dumb player, I don't have that kind of, my, my intelligence is a 10 at best. Maybe it could be an eight or nine mm-hmm. argued. And now I'm, I'm trying to play a super smart character or my character should be super smart. Did anybody bring that up in the, in the session for you? Did anybody try to, to go that route and say, well, my character should know this kind of thing. Nobody brought that up uh, because I don't, arguably have any like high intelligence uh wizards in my group like we have a cleric Mm -hmm. we have a bunch of other stuff but the game does have mechanics for that like if you roll a really good investigation check then you might notice x y and z about this character if you roll a really good insight check you might notice that this person is telling the truth but there's something off about them you know and so you kind of learn that there's something going on between certain characters or there's something like, I don't know, without giving it all away, I can't really say more, but Mm -hmm. yeah, like, like you can utilize that you're super smart, but ultimately it it is down to the player and the player just has to like put the clues together, which is what I like about it. Cause Mm -hmm. I like, I don't like it when I'm presented with a puzzle and I'm like, well, I've got a 20 intelligence. Can we just say that I figured out the puzzle? I'm like, mm-hmm. that's just not fun for me. Like there is something to be said, like challenge the players and figure and have them figure mm-hmm. out the puzzle. So what if they had gotten stuck? Um, well, there are NPCs that there's actually like a Sherlock Holmes NPC that is sent from the Waterdeep like guards to uh basically be an investigator and he will like nudge them along in certain areas okay. i've never had to utilize him before but if mm-hmm. they do get completely stuck he's there to be like i was sent by scotland yard to help you out and da 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 and so he runs around and and kind of says like well that doesn't make sense what do you think and there's a lot of like like just kind of pointing out the obvious like well this doesn't make sense so, like what do you think and and allowing the players to be like oh you're right that doesn't make sense let's look at this in a new light is kind of the idea. I only mention it because we've had, I've been in a campaign where it ended 
because we were in a room, um, somebody triggered the trap, you get teleported to in front of like a Sphinx kind of creature who has says a riddle. And the only way to get back is to solve the riddle. So they give us the riddle. Well, nobody in our party could solve the riddle. Uh -huh. We spent the entire session trying to figure out the riddle. We couldn't do it. And it was just like, we give up. We're, there's, we don't know what to do. So the campaign ended with our characters who starved to death in this room, couldn't solve the riddle, and never made it past that. And I just remember that was a very weird thing for me to think back on was this, what do you do when there's no other option? And I, I love the idea that there's an NPC that helps nudge along when things just aren't going right, because it's possible that players can get off on a tangent and just yes. not. And when we heard the answer, it was one of those things where you were like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. But we could not come to that conclusion on our own. It seemed simple to the DM, but it was not simple to us as six players couldn't solve the riddle. And I think that's one of those instances where you always need to have, like if you're going to make a dice, like it kind of goes with that same uh, thought process of if you're going to have the players roll a die, then there has to be something that happens when they fail. And mm -hmm. so this is the same thing. If they're not able to answer this riddle, maybe something attacks them, but it doesn't like lock them in a room and they can never get out forever. Like right. if you, if you only have a contingency for them winning, then that's incorrect because there is a chance that even with the simplest of riddles, they won't get it. You know, there's always a chance if you be like, well, they'll they'll figure out a way out of this room if they can roll a 15 in investigation check. Well, there's always a chance. What if they don't roll a 15 investigation check? And you as the DM are just like, well, I don't know. Like, I was kind of just I mean, if everybody rolls, somebody's going to get it right. And that's kind of the wrong mindset in my in my uh, in my. Yeah, I think that's the wrong mindset. So, yeah, like I think you need to have. What happens if they don't hit that mark? What happens if they don't answer that riddle? There has to be something in the game that happens other than just like, well, you're stuck forever permanently. That's awful. Goodbye. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> Tomb of Annihilation. Tomb of Annihilation <laughs> right there, buddy. Um, so anyway, and then the other thing, I've just been reading Saltmarsh. Uh, my players are getting their backstories together and we're trying to weave how they know each other or how they're... Um, which is really funny because a lot of them are just like, well, I'm a pirate or I'm this, or I don't know why I'm coming to salt marsh or I've lived in salt marsh or I'm doing this. And so they're all coming from weird different backgrounds and I don't want to, but I think what I'm going to have to do is say you were summoned by the town council and they have an adventure for you. Cause I literally don't know how else to get all of these characters. To together from, yeah. Because yeah. we've gotten to the point now where there's, there's so many cool different backgrounds. Races. There's so yep. many cool backgrounds. There's so many cool classes, but they don't all necessarily mesh together when you have the the Lizardman cleric and yep. you have the ASMR paladin and you yep. have the, you know, just like it's just going crazy at this point. That, that's got to be tough. Yeah. So that's my new, that's what I'm dealing with for the weekend, I guess, is I'm going to try and come up with a way for them to be all together. And it, and I might just have to use that old trope of like, hey, this, the, the king summoned you for an adventure kind of a thing. He's looking for adventurers. You guys signed up. Now you're in a party. Work together. Go. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so I feel like I'm ending on a bad note or not a bad note. Oh, no, but going just back like to a, the other conversation, <laughs> though, I just, yeah, M MJS October mentioned, what about taking 20? That's a, have you used, has anybody used that? I don't that use that in fifth in edition. I don't yeah, use I've it in fifth never edition, but. used it and I've never had a player try to use it in any game that I ran of fifth edition. I have had like a barbarian uh, was trying to open a door 
and he rolled a strength check and he failed. And I have used, if you want, I'll let you automatically succeed, but you take a level of exhaustion. So like mm -hmm. you can break open that door, but you take a level of exhaustion because it was just too frustrating. Um, mm -hmm. And I've used that. And I guess you could use that also with, it doesn't make so much sense with uh, picking a lock as a thief, but you could use the same thing. Like, like I'll give you an automatic success, but there has to be some kind of hindrance to that. Like you automatically get through this, but you lose your thieves tools. So you have to find new thieves tools or buy new thieves tools, or you get through this and you get a level of exhaustion. Um, I've used that in the past because it is kind of weird when it's like, I try to break down the door, you fail. Well, can I try again? You know, like that mentality. And that's where I think the taking 20 rules come from because you're like, well, I'll just say that for the next 10 minutes, I tried enough to get through this. Uh, and I've never, I don't know. I've never really used that. I feel like there needs to be a consequence. Yeah. And I've always made it so like you, you had mentioned in before, even the breaking down the door thing is because it's possible for the barbarian who's a 20 strength barbarian, just to roll a one twice. Yeah. And so you have to narratively figure out a reason why that is. It's not that the doors any, you know, the gnome with a 12 strength could roll a 20 and break the door down. Yeah. Once it gets past its DC, but all of a sudden because of a bad roll, you didn't get through it. So I've tried to, like you said, make it so that I'm not just thinking of success, but what happens when failure. But even um, Kyle uh, from chat mentioned, like I do take, I do the taking 20 rule when there's no downside to failure. To me, I remove those rules. If there's no downside to failure, I just yeah. let him do it. I just let him, you're the barbarian, just break it down. You don't like, need a rule. If there's no downside, it doesn't make, you know, the if you're gonna try to say, I'm gonna break it down without making noise, or I'm gonna try to break it down, but I wanna save it so we can use it for something else. There might be a role for that to see if that accomplishes. But I've gotten rid of the, I'm just gonna break down a, a door role um, pretty much completely. Just almost like, I almost using like passive skills for them because there's no reason why somebody with a 20 strength shouldn't be able to break down a wooden door. Mm -hmm. If it's just a wooden door. I mean, if but, there's other reasons, the, the consequences yeah. for that could be, like you said, they're noisy and they attract monsters yeah. and monsters are like, why is this door broken down or something like that? So, or yeah. puts the rest of the, the, the dungeon on alert because they know that there's, you know, certain sections that are, or even like down. climbing things. Like I don't ever make it so that you like, you try to climb halfway up the cliff, then you fail, you fall, climb halfway up the cliff, you fail, you fall. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to put on the cliff seven different roles because you're going to fail at some point during seven different roles. To me, it's just like you make one roll and that's all about how fast you get up the cliff mm -hmm. or if you suffered a little bit of damage doing it, but then moving on. Like yep. we're, it's not going to be, you're not getting up the cliff. You yeah. were always going to get up the cliff. It's just what did, what happened to you while you did it is your role helps me narrate. So yep. um, I think that's just one DM thing that you can think of. Don't think of things that block them think of things that are a consequence but they still accomplish and how does it change the story too like yeah. like did you roll a uh, so if the dc for that door was was 14 and they rolled a 14 yeah it, it you do it but it took you quite a bit and you made a lot mm -hmm. of noise and you do this or if it's like no the dc was 14 and i rolled a 23 well yeah you kick through the door and it just breaks off its hinges immediately like you can use that the and kids on bikes is really good about that. Like the discrepancy between numbers, you, you 
succeed more. So if the DC was 10 and you rolled a 20, you super succeed. But if the DC was 10 and you rolled 11, you just succeeded. How did you just succeed? You know, <laughs> so yeah. uh, Use anyway. Use it as a narrative. Use it yeah. as a narrative. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, that's our show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming out for episode 69 of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. We have more uh, shows planned in the future. So, yeah, we're. what should we do for 100? I didn't even think about that. That's cool. We should have like a big, big. mailbag episode <laughs> or something, a giveaway, something cool for 100. That sounds awesome. Yeah which is coming up. Um, thank you guys so much for coming out. We had a record number of people in both chats, I feel like. Yeah. So it was really great to see you guys on Twitter and on YouTube. Uh, give us a thumbs up, share this with your friends, all that other stuff. And mm -hmm. uh, yeah, with that, any final thoughts, sir, before we take off? Nope, it was great to see everybody out here. Keep the discussion going in the um, comment, comment section, area of yep. the videos. Definitely check us out on Twitter and send us messages on Twitter about what you thought about the show, other things we could talk about, or just, again, keep the conversation going. And make sure you go out and rate that podcast because we're trying to really yeah. get that up in the ranks so that more people see that. Give and us then some... hopefully we'll get to go to Dungeons & Dragons Live 2019 <laughs> and bring you guys all the fresh news live from those types of events. So. Yeah, always, uh, if you could, <laughs> give us a, a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes Podcasts because that helps mm -hmm. circulate the podcast some more. Um, thanks again, guys, for just being awesome. I love our community. Uh, we have a Discord. If you're interested, I don't have the Discord link, but it is in the show notes. Uh, I don't have it handy right now, but uh, we have a Discord if you guys want to keep the conversation going. Um, and with that, we will see you next week with another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D &D Show. Uh, goodbye, everybody. Bye.